0: that people fear what they don't understand so when we're talking about empathy a lot of times because people can't relate to the situation that they're going through they fear it and they don't want to understand and with most people especially when they're trying to get away from something they use their escape coping mechanism so they, they try to escape from even wanting to understand so they just avoid it so and in, in essence, when you have educators who don't understand the plight that some people have to walk through in this world, they fear it, they don't want to understand it, so they avoid it and they avoid the conversation. So when it when it's brought to that classroom, now what happens is that they don't want to even engage because they don't even know how to.
1: It's the Empowerment Perspective Podcast hosted by Demiso Josie and Mr. Kareem Spence. Stay empowered. Stay empowered. All right. Welcome to yet another episode of the Empowerment Perspective Podcast. I go by the name of Dr. Denise a. Josie alongside Mr. Petty Kareem Spence. How are you doing, sir? all well, man. Are you, are you sure? Are you sure you're doing well? You don't, you don't have yeah, a good Yeah, I'm story? doing good. I
0: can't cut my beard off. I'm doing good. <laughs>
1: Got you. Got rid of that COVID cut, finally. I understand. Okay, um, we're we coming out of COVID. <laughs> also, we're joined by Jamie. How are you doing, Jamie?
2: Doing well. How are you?
1: I'm maintaining everything good with you and COVID and teaching and all that stuff. And I think your kids are back now. Both of you guys, your kids are back um, full time. you guys full time or are you now half time, right? Like half Five days. Half-time. Five half
2: days. Five half
1: days. That's yeah. tough all right well you guys are adjusting it's good to see you all it's been a minute uh we are in the end of our season six uh of our Palmer perspective podcast so i the, the way i want to go about this right now is just the, a general overview of season six of what your impression was um we had some pretty interesting guests on um in season six so uh moody black was probably one of my favorite ones stand tall steve was another good one uh,
2: moody black was definitely uh one of my favorite shows it was a uh... Uh, funny it wasn't I, it wasn't what I was expecting it to be but we had some good guests some of your former students came on we had um the young man that did the sports for us he was mm-hmm. uh really fun to have on and I think that it was good for us to continue oh. to do this especially through um COVID through the pandemic it gave our listeners something something to listen to it gave me something to look forward to doing right. coming together and got
1: yeah. you For those of you who um, didn't see the Moody Black episode, that was a really powerful one because he was talking about mental health um, and how to deal with mental health, and he was doing it um, from a perspective of through his poetry and his art and how he was able to deal with that. So make sure you definitely check that one out um, for sure. Um, My man Carson um, out there in Chicago, like we said here in Empowerment Perspective, we're about giving kids their voice as well. He was 10 years old and he was our our sports analyst uh, during the Super Bowl, so he did a great job uh, for us in season six with that. Um, another, you know, I had some former students on, which is good. Um, again, dealing with anxiety and, and things of that nature, and how they overcome that their anxiety. So, uh, Moody Black probably was one of my favorite ones. Um, Stantall Steve was awesome as well. Um, another educator out here in, in New Jersey that is actually in the business of motivational speaking and consulting. Um, so he's definitely got some good information with that as well. Um, I did also enjoy, we had the, um, uh, the, the, we talked about how to succeed as a black male we had three powerful, uh, black businessmen that were on. Um, so mm-hmm. shout out to Kyle Santillian out there in Chicago, Randy Washington in Pennsylvania and in the business bully, wherever he is in the world, um, he was on as well. So those were some of my favorites. So
0: well, I'll say this. this is one thing that has been consistent in season six, season six was definitely an interesting year that I'm hoping. That season seven is nothing like. We 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 deal with issues as far as uh, George Floyd and all the emotions that went on there. From you know us, us being able to participate in um, some of the marches, you know, for civil rights. Um, from us, you know, linking up with some of your friends, you know, and is having that moment of I want to say inner peace to be able to to bring about and a, a platform where people can actually share. Absolutely. to dealing with a pandemic and, and losing so many friends and, and family members. Um, it was a rough year. And even trying to put on a good face for the students and make it seem like everything is going to be okay. when hmm. we know deep inside that everything wasn't okay. So we went from opening up the school to closing down the school to opening up the school. So it was, um, it, it was a tough year, but I'm, I'm hoping that season seven is nothing like six. And I'm, I'm looking forward to being able to put this way beyond us and being Thanks. able to
1: move on. It's a great point. Um, so, so for those who do follow the Empowerment Perspective Group, we're not just all about podcasts. We're not all just about um, consultants. So what we were able to do was um, bring a bunch of black males together and had an open space for us to be able to communicate about some of the things that was going on in our in our communities and around the world. And, you know, it was a very emotional um, time, um, for, you know, these men to, to be able to express themselves Um, you know, it was a good space, you know, people mm-hmm. cried, you know, we supported each other. We still support each other. So it was definitely, um, something that was, uh, it was needed. Um, and we had people across the country that was on, on that particular cause on the flip side though, Jamie, you also had a group that you, um, also met with during that time. Care to share a little bit, some of the things that you were doing with them? I, yes.
2: Yeah, so I ran, um, kind of like a women's group, but we also talked about, um, what we're lacking in regards to what we're bringing to the classroom and teaching our students. And it was just interesting to bring together so many different peoples from so many different backgrounds and hearing I mean, everyone's scared, regardless of, of what your culture or what your, your background or what your history is. No one knows how to address it in the classroom. No one knows what the next step is. So it was interesting for us to come together as a group And kind of brainstorm and bounce ideas off of one another and come up with ideas that hopefully, we'll be able to get
1: to once we we come into a regular school year. Got you, got you, got you. And this is a perfect segue to introduce our guest today. Um, As always, I'm on LinkedIn, scouring LinkedIn, looking for interesting people to have conversations with. And in the light of the the recent George Floyd um, verdict, I I thought this topic today that we're going to talk about is really, really important. Um, Although we dealt with it a lot during season six, I think this episode, we get to Dive in a little bit more in, into that topic specifically um, about um, just you know the, the racial divide that exists um, in this country and how we can mend those things um, within the educational space, in, in educational space as well as in, in everyday space as well. But um, so I was looking through LinkedIn as I always do, and I, I came across um, an author. Um, I actually picked up her book. I didn't finish it yet, but um, her book, "Radical Empathy: Finding uh, Find a Pathway to Bridging." Uh, racial divides I started looking through there and I said we have to have uh, this lady on this podcast so we can dive in here and, and hopefully um, on the back end we can come up with some tips for these educators on how to be able to have conversations with students that may not look like them for example um, and maybe you may not understand uh, you know some of their pain and emotions that they're, they're going through so uh, Terry Gibbons welcome to the podcast thanks for joining us
3: my pleasure, and thanks for inviting me. This I, already, just from the, what I've heard, I'm really interested in hearing more about what you guys have been doing.
1: Awesome, awesome. So let's 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 dive in. Um, you have a book that that you published, um, and I did read most of it, and have enough time to finish it. But I have this is probably the first time, first podcast ever that I actually took notes because everything else is, <laughs> is, is, is off the top of the head. So uh, you know, I have my notes, a little bit of notes prepared, and I will probably go off script. <laughs> But let's talk about uh, Radical Empathy. Um, why did you decide to write this particular book um, right now?
3: So let me give you, because I know the people on the podcast probably haven't read my background, but I'm a, so a professor of political science. I'm a first-generation college goer. Um, my father was military, and I grew up in a place called Spokane, Washington, which you unfortunately is infamous for people like Rachel Dolezal and all that, but I, I didn't know her or anything. Um, so I grew up in Spokane and um, you know I, I always wondered why did my parents have us grow up in Spokane? So for those who don't know, Spokane is less of, when I was growing up especially in the 60s and 70s, it was less than 1% black. Um, and we didn't spend a lot of time with relatives, and and then, you know, I was, I I feel like I struggled with understanding, you know, why my parents made some of the choices they did, and so I started thinking about it, and, you know, actually, I was really inspired by other books like um, Isabel Wilkerson's The Warmth of Other Sons. Um, I started doing family genealogy. I I visited um, where my mom grew up in Opelousas, Louisiana. I visited some of the civil rights uh, sites around the country, kind of as in preparation for wanting, I knew I wanted to write something, but I, I, I needed this background understanding. And part of it was just, you know, I, I talk about six steps to radical empathy. And the first step is willingness to be vulnerable. Mm. And so I had to be vulnerable and ask myself, how, wow. wh- what impact did all of this have on me? And I realized that, wait a second, you know, I grew up in a world of cultural you know, kind of being cut cut off from my culture to a certain extent. I I, later reached out to it, but that I, I, you know, it was a world of structural racism that I was living in. And I talk about the sea of white supremacy and we all live, you know, it's like, you know, the, the bells and whistles went off in my head and I was just like, wait a second, we're all struggling with this. It's not just that white people are discriminating against black people. My own parents were, you know, had, you know, didn't want us to interact with other black people because they wanted us to be assimilated and, you know, speak a certain way. We always had to dress this, you know, it's black respectability, right? Mm-hmm. And and so I grew up in that, that world that saw white as the norm and not, you know, being, even though, you know, I grew up in the era of black power and all that, you know, my parents weren't out marching in the civil rights movement. They, they were doing their own thing, right? They were trying to survive. I'm not, I don't want to put my parents down at all. They were doing exactly what they thought was going to help us be successful. And to a certain extent, they were right. Mm -hmm. But there was this cultural loss. I felt, I felt like I, you know, I still am trying to, you know, feel, I feel like I'm trying to recapture some of that, the, the connections to family and, Um, That's why I do so much work uh, to understand our family history and so on. So this book, to a certain extent, was to help me walk through this path to radical empathy, not just for um, other people, but for myself and for my parents. I had to develop radical empathy for my parents, which meant, you know, so I, I talk about the six steps, but the most important thing is taking action. And so the action I took was to understand the history, the culture, the issues that my parents, you know, what would I have done living, you know, doing, you know, with the kind of background my parents had. And I can't, I don't want to be angry or blame them. I want to understand.
1: Mm-hmm. So that
3: was a lot of it.
1: Gotcha. You, got you. So let's just talk about the word empathy in itself, because I think a mm-hmm. lot of people confuse empathy with sympathy. Yep. So uh, can, can you just break down the, what you mean by radical empathy and, and, and empathy in, in general?
3: Yeah. See, the problem is a lot of people think, oh, I have empathy. I can feel, yeah, I feel for other people. That's not enough. So, you know, empathy, and I talk a lot about the definitions of it, there, there's kind of this cognitive empathy where, you know, you kind of understand, okay, this person is dealing with bias and so on, but there's really kind of more a, an emotional empathy where you actually can uh, try to understand somebody's feelings um, and because I see, you know, people like, oh, why, why do we have to worry about microaggression? Just like, well, those are cause, you know, if you put yourself in my shoes and understand the pain. That those things cause me, then you, you know, you ha- will have a much better understanding of why I care about, you know, quote unquote, microaggressions. I don't particularly like that term, but, um, and so radical empathy, though, is saying, not only am I going to understand why you're experiencing pain or, or bias or whatever, I'm going to do something about it. And that's what really struck me is, you know, you look at some of this work out there, even this whole idea of, you know, white fragility, it's like, okay, fine. You understand the racism is out there, but what are you doing about it? I live in a community where there's, you know, I, I, you know, I'm very lucky. I tend to choose where I live based on where I work, right? Mm -hmm. And where I work was this college right down the road. And, um, you know, this happens to be, it was a beautiful neighborhood and it's, you know, there's, People from different backgrounds, but you know, there's me and one other black family, you know, down the road, who, you know, of course, the woman's my best friend because we saw each other down this. It's like I love telling this story because we moved into our house, you know, like five years ago, and walking down the street, I see a black woman walking her dog, and I'm like, hello, let's be friends. <laughs> luckily we have boys who are the same age and so we're, we're good friends but you know i look at my neighborhood and i say okay you guys got your black lives matter flags and your your signs that say you know we believe in black lives matter and all this stuff what are you doing you know what and actually a lot of them are want to know i mean how many of us have been asked oh, what can i do right. you know and so that was the other side of it is is radical empathy is not just about Trying to understand how I feel, it's doing something about it. It's saying, "Yes, I understand that we have to create change, and we all have to work to dismantle structural racism." Um, And it starts from the inside.
1: I think one of the key words that you used there was "all," and because I Mm -hmm. I asked the same question to you know to the Black culture as well, like you know, yes, Mm -hmm. we marched, yes, yes, we, you know, our voices were heard and things like. But what are you doing about it? And when when I do get a chance to go out and speak to these young people, I said, you have to be a part of the change agent. I need you in the game. I need you Mm -hmm. in the political spaces. I need you to be in educational spaces. If you wanna see changes, you've gotta be a part of the change. It's great. Yes, I went out there, I marched. I did all those things too, but like you said, what are you doing about it um, going forward? Kareem and Jamie, I wanna bring you into this discussion, talking about empathy um, and how important it is for educators to be empathetic to their students um, given the context of, of, of the racial climate and things that are going on in this nature. So Kareem, I'll start with you in terms of uh, your impressions of what empathy means from your perspective as a guidance counselor.
0: Okay, so be- before I get there, um, as the professor was speaking, the I- I only thing that came to my mind was a quote that Nod said in one of his rhymes, was that people fear what they don't understand. So when we're talking about empathy, a lot of times because people can't relate to the situation that they're going through, they fear it and they don't want to understand. And with most people, especially when they're trying to get away from something, they use their escape coping mechanism. Mm -hmm. So they they try to escape from even wanting to understand. So they just avoid it. So (laughs) in essence, when you have educators who don't understand, the plight that some people have to walk through in this world, they fear it. They don't want to understand it. So they avoid it and they avoid the conversation. So when it, when it's brought to that classroom, now what happens is that they don't want to even be engage because they don't even know
1: how to. Hmm, Makes sense to me. Um, do you think that educators are, are overthinking how they could, be empathetic to their students. And I'm saying this because, and, and I've said this in previous podcasts too, um, we all can relate to feelings at the end of the day. Now you, may, I may not understand you completely and your experience, but I know what it feels like to be afraid. I know what it feels like to be uh, angry. I know what it feels like all these things. Can educators relate to their students on that basic level, not saying that you're going to understand because there's a whole bunch of stuff that's behind it. Um, but are they
0: no, no they can't? And part of that, not I me mean to cut you off, but part of that is because education has become politicized. So it became a platform for politicians. So when teachers walk in a the classroom, they can't even be human anymore. Hmm. They can't even even think about having this word called feelings, because the minute that they do, not only do they get slapped on the hand, but they exclude their teaching certificate. So now they don't even have an appointment anymore, and they just get thrown and tossed to the side because they actually are doing something that we all want people to do, which is to be human.
1: Hmm. Now, Jamie, inside the classroom, how can we become empathetic educators? Like, what's your perspective
0: on it? Was that people fear what they don't understand. Yes. So when we're talking about empathy, a lot of times, because people can't relate to the situation that they're going through, they fear it and they don't want to understand. And with most people, especially when they're trying to get away from something, they use their escape coping mechanism. Mm. So they they try to escape from even wanting to understand. So they just avoid it. So (laughs) in essence, when you have educators who don't understand the plight that some people have to walk through in this world, they fear it, they don't want to understand it. So they avoid it and they avoid the conversation. So when, it, when it's brought to that classroom, now what happens is that they don't want to even be engaged because they don't even know how to.
2: Actually, I think in the classroom, empathy is nothing more than perspective. It's understanding your students' perspectives and understanding their backgrounds before you can do anything else. And that just goes across the board. How can I expect you to listen to me and learn from me if I don't understand you as a human being and understand your perspective as well? So mm-hmm. perspective, in the classroom is what empathy is. It's knowing that everyone that's in that room has a backstory, has some sort of history that they're bringing bringing to the classroom. And it's your job as a teacher to understand that and to recognize that before you can move forward.
1: Got you. Perspective is a big thing as an educator. I mean, at the end of the day, when we we're teaching, we're supposed to be giving multiple perspectives of whatever topic so that, the, you know, the kids can see it from all different angles. It doesn't happen majority of the time. I do understand that. But I think in order to progress as a, as a good educator, especially when we're dealing with, you know, race and culture and things of that nature, is to be able to, to have multiple perspectives. But that involves you stepping outside of your comfort zone, admitting to your biases and your shortcomings and all that stuff, too. So there there is a, um, you know, you have to be brave to be a a great educator at the end of the day and and be willing to make those, um, you know, those adjustments and take those steps. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, Terry, I want to get back to you because one of the things that you actually touched on a little bit earlier um, that I read in the book, you talked about this concept called imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you explain a little bit about what that is, and, and you know how you how you dealt with it. Um, you know, I have similar. I guess I guess I have a, a, a understanding of it from a different perspective, but I'll, I'll let you explain uh, the imposter imposter syndrome.
3: Well, you know, I've been reading about this and and actually feeling what I thought was imposter syndrome, which is you you know, especially being a first generation college goer. You know, you get to stand a place like Stanford, which is where I went undergrad. And you just feel like you don't fit in. And maybe, you know, and and people will feed into that by, you know, oh, you got in because of affirmative action or you got in. And, you know, I knew that wasn't right. I mean, you know, I had a stellar record, et cetera. But you still feel, you still get that, you know, voice in the back of your head saying, but, you know, the reality is, is I, I realize it's not really imposter syndrome. It's what it's what's happening is people are actually telling us we don't belong. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're doing things to under, you. Know, I, I, I what I've experienced throughout my career is that when I succeed or get into a position of of influence or power, people will start you know, beating it, beating you up and, and, you know, stabbing you in the back. Mm. And so it's not imposter syndrome. It's actually people trying to undermine you. And once I realized that, then I could have a different perspective on it and say, okay, you know, I mean, in general, it's easy to, to say it's imposter syndrome, but we also have to understand that there are people actively engaging in trying to undermine us. Mm. <laughs> so um It makes a big difference. It's like, no, I'm not an imposter. I belong here. In fact, I worked harder to get here, probably, than most everybody else, especially Mm -hmm. white men who are in these positions. So, you know, and I I want to come back to the, you know, I I start with that African one chapter with that African proverb, which is you have to work twice as hard to get half Mm -hmm. as far as a white person, basically, especially Mm -hmm. a white male. And so, you know, here we are working so hard to get into these positions, and then we want to say we have imposter syndrome. Well, no, it's not imposter syndrome. It's like you, you, know, you have to be way up here. And you know, there's the book by uh, Igoma Oluo uh, about mediocre white men. I mean, think about how easy it is for these people to get into these positions and, and you know get paid better and all this, and we have to work so hard. So anyway, that's my my take on imposter syndrome.
1: <laughs> got you. Thanks for uh, sharing that. Um, so Kareem in, in sticking in that concept, and I know you deal with a lot of different students from different backgrounds and things of that nature. Um, can you explain some of the things that some of your students will exhibit when they feel like they don't belong? Like when they feel like, you know, <laughs> this is not the space for me.
0: When, when they don't belong. Um, I mean, we 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 can start and discuss, you know, some of the topics that we've had with schools when we're talking about advanced placement and getting students into that particular realm, only to be discouraged by the people that say that they shouldn't be there, which is the teachers. Mm. Like we have someone that is gifted. We know that they they have the ability to succeed. Only like the professor said, to be cut down by the adults who start telling them, you know, you really don't belong here. Hey, Mr. Spence, they, they're not performing well. Never mind the fact that they were going through a pandemic. They don't, they really don't belong because they're not meeting the, the, um, the meeting up to the contract, I should say. And I don't want to say too much, but you know what I'm talking about to mm-hmm. so advanced placement. Um, so in, in essence, we make those that we don't truly understand have to, like Professor said, work twice as hard to get into positions only for when they get there, start to discourage them you know, emotionally and psychologically to when they start to really believe that maybe I don't belong there. Hmm. That's a tough path. You, and once that's done, it's not done. It's easier just to punch them in the face than it is to like, have them go through that emotional abuse
1: right all right i want to go back to advanced placement because i think a lot of people don't understand that it's not standardized right so each school can make a determination of who they let into these advanced placement. that's going yes. a moving target every year mm-hmm. the, the the criteria changes oh you mm-hmm. need teacher recommendations or you need this point grade point average every year it completely changes so that their numbers can fit right the way mm-hmm. that they want it and so it becomes a moving target when we talk about it, a, advanced placement um the The simple fact that the information is not necessarily readily available to a lot of the parents is in itself a problem. Because uh, I know growing up when, when I was in school, like I had no idea what, I didn't know what advanced placement was until I was in college. And I graduated with a 4.0. Like, like why wasn't I in, in advanced I'm, placement? I'm,
0: I'm still waiting for somebody to explain to me what Gibson Challenge is. I have no idea what it is now. I know what it is in other states when they're, you know, having their kids prep for the SSAT. So they can get into some like prestigious summer programs and even some prestigious high school. I have no idea what GT is. No there idea. Is. Nobody can explain to me. Even GT actually, teachers can't explain to me.
1: There's actually a study, a bunch of studies out right now that are talking about that when kids are in these gifted and talented programs, you're not really seeing that much. Uh, growth and like the reading levels are relatively the same, mm-hmm. you know, the test scores are relatively the same. there's not a lot of growth in there. So they're they're asking about what the validity of these programs actually uh, are other than the label, because these kids will perform mm-hmm. the same in your quote unquote general classes as well. So there's a lot of research that's going on about
3: it. If you don't mind me jumping in, as somebody who sees this at the college level, uh, plus I work with organizations that work with kids who are kind of college bound and so on. I mean, mm-hmm. these AP classes have become a total scam. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's just, you know, and I, I keep telling my son, he's going into a senior year. I don't really want you to take, don't take AP, but he's putting it on himself. He wants to take the, I'm just like, don't take AP classes. And he's like, no, I have to. And the reason I do that is because, you know, it's, I, I took, you know, I was in a school where they, they did push me to take AP classes. My parents wouldn't have known, you know, but, but, The reality is that these classes are just, you know, they're just designed to help you take a test, right? It's like every other thing. It's they're they're geared towards helping you take a test. Mm -hmm. And it's not geared towards you know, I, I, my son, when he was, a, my older son who's in college now, he took this AP class and I said, this professor, he's not, this guy's not a professor, of, of college professor. He's mm-hmm. making you guys do stuff that I would never ask you to do in a college course. And your writing is better than some of my college students and he's giving you C's and D's on it, you mm-hmm. know. And and I anyway. So I am not a fan of AP courses. I think that you're absolutely right that they're totally arbitrary in terms of what's taught. In terms of they're they're not they should not be used for college credit because they nine I, well I can't say because I don't because there's no standardization. I you <laughs> know, I mean theoretically there is I mean they all take the same test but I mean you know the stuff anyway I could go on and on I, but I just get really annoyed with the whole.
0: AP thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we hit a nerve. I, I'm right here. Yes, yeah, yeah. At least so I'll, I'll say, I'll say this, right. If we had the, the same energy port tour, some of our kids that are lower performing mm-hmm. and made them start to believe that they were advanced kids, I guarantee you, they will start to believe that they were advanced kids and start coming to school and acting like it.
3: And that's the whole thing about the imposter syndrome, right? You're bringing it right back to the original point,
0: which is that,
3: (laughs) you know, seriously, if we treat the, so, you know, there's new research by this neuroscientist at Stanford that says if basically everybody has the same capacity. Mm-hmm. The the difference is what we how we challenge them what we give them how we help them to grow, and you know that's what that was. I I lived in Austin, Texas for twelve years. Sorry, you hit a nerve, yeah. <laughs> so I have to. Talk. That's
0: that's what, and, this what I do. I do yeah, stuff
3: I like that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, we so my son when he was supposed to go to middle school, his the school he was supposed to go to for our neighborhood school was a magnet school, and he there was no way he was going to get into the magnet because every kid in the entire Austin and, you know, Unified School District applied to that magnet school, so I said, fine, but the other part of the school, you know, it was very divided and segregated between the kids who were in the magnet and the kids who weren't, and it's like, I'm not going to put my son through that, so we sent him to a private school, but I was like, if it's good enough for the magnet kids, why isn't it good enough for every single kid? Why are we pouring resources and, you know, better teacher, you know, better teachers and everything into the magnet and not giving every kid that freaking opportunity. <laughs> so that's what really got me upset. And I just couldn't believe that we had created this incredibly segregated thing. Anyway, I could go on now. But <laughs>
0: I
1: want you to jump in from the special education perspective, because I think a lot of the uh, general, I guess, perspective is that, you know, their, their education is a little bit different. Like, can you break that down in terms of um, how you go about teaching your, your special education students and the expectations that you have of them. And, and you know, you, I'll let you explain. I know the answer, but our audience may not know the answer. So can you touch First, on that a little
2: bit? Let's go back to the, the Gifted and Talented program. And I also feel some kind of way about it because my children were in the Gifted and Talented program in a small school district. And then when we moved into a larger school district last school year, we not given the opportunity to even test to enter that GT program. So I'm not sure what happened from one district to another. Maybe they lost their wisdom somewhere in the move. But they were not eligible for the GT program. So I'm not quite sure how they figured that out. But um, in the special ed classroom my I feel like a lot of times teachers that aren't familiar with the special ed world think that we take their work and kind of um, Water it down to be nothing at all. But in reality, um, I show some teachers what my children's work looks like, and their work is honestly a lot of times even more than what the expectations are in the gen ed classroom because I have the time to sit with you, to work with you, to show you examples, and my bar is this high. So if you come into my classroom and you're working right here, I'm not coming down there. We're going to fight back and forth until you come up to where I'm at because I have I have the time and the energy to make sure that you get there. So I feel like a lot of times I want Jenna teachers to come into my classroom that they can really see what kind of work is taking place there.
1: It's interesting. Really good point. So all you educators out there, you should constantly be visiting classrooms um, and getting ideas and and, and working with your colleagues. Um, Me, as an administrator, I'm always talking to other administrators and picking their brains. So you should definitely, I I believe you should, as an educator, you should be a lifelong learner. If you're not reading something or if you're not exploring, um, then what are you in this profession for at the end of the day? You're doing these kids a disservice. I want to wrap this part of the podcast up and 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 Ms. gibbons if you can give our educators some advice who may be struggling with relating to students from a different culture and, and and how do we go about the process of bridging that that gap from an educator standpoint
3: well if there's one thing i could get educators to do is to understand where they're coming from and we all need to do that right because I'm coming from a place of you know, maybe more privileged than, than others. You know? So it's not necessarily just about race. It's understanding that I may make um, assumptions about my students even in the college classroom that I make because I'm coming from a certain place and, and a certain understanding. And so what I've tried to do and, and I advise <clears throat> teachers in general to do is to take a step back take a look at your own internal biases, you know, that have to do with, you know, it may be because you were raised, you know, in a more privileged environment, and maybe you had a bet, you know, my education is different from the education that um, my students have had. And so I need to, we need to really try to understand ourselves so that we can better understand our students um, and how we are are using our own frameworks to understand them and instead try to understand from their perspective and get that connection going in a way that allows us to see them. We need to see our students right, and not see them through this lens that we have created of, of the world. So that's my biggest piece of advice. Mm-hmm.
1: Kareem, you got any questions? I know you probably got a thousand things going in your head as usual.
0: I mean, we've had, like, so many guests that it's becoming, like, a continuous conversation that educators really should change their perspective on how they see students. And not just, like, these are kids. Like, they haven't even grown, even been able to learn the world. They don't even have a driver's license, but... We're making predictions of what their outcome is going to be in 10 to 15 years. Yeah, he ain't going to be nothing. Look at it. Look how he dressed. Like, how can how you say this is somebody's kid? So when we talk about empathy, how about this, like, starting and, and being able to treat someone else's child like you would want them to treat yours? Because a lot of times when yours is treated the same way, you get upset and you get angry. So, yes, I, I think you guys have hit a nerve with me because I've seen so many young people become mistreated by those that consider themselves educated. And will you actually educate them, to be like you, to have biases like you, to see the world with blinders on, not even to consider someone else's feelings or what they may be going through? Well, how about this? The challenges that you have in life, so do young people. They come from worlds that you wouldn't even begin to understand, but yet they still show up. Every day, looking to get ahead, looking to change their world perspective. And what do we do? We treat them just like the world does, hmm. which is wrong.
1: Hmm. Jamie, you have anything to add before we switch gears?
2: So I, I feel like we have to remember why we come to school every day. And it's not to be friends with all of the teachers in the building, but it's to advocate for the students that are there. So you can't be afraid to... Unfriend or not be friends with or lose friends in the process if that means sticking up and standing up for students in your building that need you to be there because We have to remember that when these children come to school, some of them don't have a mom or a dad or someone with the voice at home. That's Well spoken enough to speak out for them when they see something wrong. So you, you can't be afraid to step up and do that. And even if that means, you know, not this person not liking you or that person not liking you or this person talking about you, go ahead and talk. But at the end of the day, I'm not here for you. I'm here for the students. And I think that that's the most important thing to remember.
1: Good point. Excellent. So we're going to switch gears a little bit. I'm going to throw a curveball at Jamie and Kareem because they definitely would not prepare for this. And I just thought about doing this right now because that's the way that I do. (laughs) Um, on previous podcasts, I did a this or that. So I'm going to give everybody a this or that. And just give us a, you're going to, I'm going to give you one as well. And you have to pick one. You got to tell me why you picked that one thing. All right. So I am going to actually start with, I'll start with Kareem. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go light on you early. I'm mm-hmm. going to do music. I'm mm-hmm. going to say Jay-Z or not.
0: Mm. Well, his thing. I have to go with consistency. And Nas had one really good album. Classic. Put him in the GOAT debate. But Jay, I grew up with him. And and I watched as he developed. And as I developed. And I'm a huge fan of Hov simply because now we're talking about family issues. And for me, I can go back to Reasonable Doubt and that mindset, mm-hmm. but also can I connect with him with the 444? And there are certain songs that even today, like you just need to have. Like he's he's so diverse in, in his music and even the other artists that he worked with. Mm-hmm. Now that's why he's like really good as a lyricist and I'm not taking anything away from him, but at the same time, Ho- Hove is who he is. Like he just
1: won the Grammy,
0: though. Yeah, Jay got like six of them. But he just... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and on top of that, like, on top of that, so even when you talk about some of the, the stuff that he hasn't done as far as the movies, like, I I didn't know who... um oh, What was the young guy on Netflix, the um the young male that got locked up in, in Rikers Island that... Um, um ultimately committed suicide
3: Broden.
1: Uh, um his Broden? what's his
0: last name
3: nah, um oh i can see him
0: <laughs> yes that... a young man but that, Bro- that was
3: it... a... yeah anyway
0: and then like just recently um when we had the movie um i think it was black judas and the messiah
1: mm-hmm.
0: like i didn't know who um Oh, what was, what's his name? Um, I died on the same day, Fred Hampton. I didn't know who Fred Hampton was until Jay met, that made that verse years ago. Hmm. Like, who's Fred Hampton? And then I had to go back and say, oh, that's who Fred Hampton was. So even before the movie came out, I knew who Fred Hampton was you and did great, research on him.
1: You make a great point. And we talk about this in our, one of our presentations on the hip, how to reach and teach today's hip-hop generation. I learned about my culture through hip-hop music. So I grew up during the time, you know, Public Enemy, Karis one. And then when they started, I heard the word Malcolm X. I was like, who's this Malcolm X person? Maybe go pick up the autobiography of Malcolm X. And then it just kind of just started everything else. So hip hop, I owe a lot to hip hop about who, not only who I am, but me
0: understanding who my people are. I just found out, one second, I just found out that Marcus Garvey has a son that's alive. I didn't even know that. News to me too.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. We're going to stay with the, the musical categories So, Jamie, you're up next. This one is going to be pick alternative music or hip hop, which one you pick.
2: Um, hip hop first, but alternative is a definite second.
1: Why hip hop first?
2: Um, I think that hip hop, when I listen to alternative music, it takes me to a different space. So I have to oh. be in a mood to listen to alternative music. And if I just turn it on, it might take me to that space and I might not want to be there. That
1: that sunken place? You go to the sunken place? (laughs) Down there.
2: I I don't always want to be down there. Sometimes I want to be up top.
1: (laughs) Listen, if you start uh, drinking tea and and squirming a spoon in the tea, I'm leaving. I'm done. I don't know you. (laughs) (laughs) Miss Gibbons, I'm going to say, give you Biggie or Tupac.
3: Mm. Oh, man. It's not going (laughs) to be easy. Well, I have to admit I kind of had a crush on Tupac.
0: Brenda's had a baby? Is that what did it for you?
3: <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it was the movie Poetic Justice.
0: Uh, oh, I was thinking juice. But go ahead. Yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> so um
1: all, yeah. I, all I remember in that movie is his nails was dirty. And
0: uh, <laughs> oh, that was the guy who kept brushing his hair? What was his name? He just kept brushing his hair. Throughout the whole movie.
1: Oh man, all right. So, we're gonna go with location. I'm gonna give you two locations. Pick one and tell me why. Miss Gavin's gonna stay with you. Um, Spokane or Austin?
3: <laughs> oh god, you oh man, yes. Spokane or Austin? Oh my god, um, Austin because um. Austin, my, my Spokane friends are going to kill me for this, but Austin actually has some culture Mm -hmm. (laughs) and, um, you know, it's, it's not, I have issues with both places, but at least in Austin, um, you know, you can find jazz music and, and amazing food and, Mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's black. Uh, you know, unfortunately the black community is getting pushed out to the suburbs, but at least it's there. I mean, so you know, even compared to here, um, we had a group called Black Girls Run in Austin that I loved and still am friends with even though I'm across the country. So there was a real, I, I found a really great community there that I didn't have in camp or even here.
1: Mm. So. Gotcha, Kareem. Yes, sir. DR or Jamaica?
0: Well, I still haven't made it to the DR, and I'm a little saddened by the fact that uh, the pandemic came and I was on my way. I'm um, to Jamaica. Have fun. I'm really looking forward to going down to the DR, hopefully, um, first week or the second week of, um, of July. So I'm going to DR all day.
1: DR all day. All right, Jamie. New Jersey or Florida.
2: Florida. Why? The water's cleaner. <laughs> <laughs> the
0: same water. Yeah, it's like it's the same challenge. It's the same water.
2: Different. It's just different. The water is beautiful. Beautiful. Um, a different environment. Everyone's laid back and, and everybody speaks to you in Florida. The only problem is there's dragons that run around in Florida. But besides that.
0: <laughs> dragons.
1: <laughs> you know dragons aren't real, right? You know, it's <laughs> not a real thing.
2: They're, they're, they are have long tails and they jump out of like bushes and stuff, but besides
0: what? that...
2: I really just a iguan- yeah, iguanas? It kind of looks like a dragon. It could have been an iguana, but...
0: Yeah. <laughs> Wait, were you smoking down there? Were you smoking down there?
1: I understand it, though, because you're so little and that thing is, may look like a dragon to you. I get no, it.
2: Like
1: this, big. <laughs> this big. I understand. <laughs> All right, well... <laughs> we're gonna wrap this podcast up Ms. gibbons thank you so much for thank um you. taking the time to be with us to hit on this important topic um something that we're definitely going to continue to revisit um through season seven um a little bit um we got some other things coming up in season seven um some some musical artists hopefully and some other artists that um, we're looking at um trying to take it a little bit different hopefully we're gonna get some more kids on here they want to talk to i definitely want to uh explore that as well but um Ms. Gibbons, any last words to our um, educator audience out there, uh, words of encouragement or anything of that nature?
3: Just hang in there. And and I want to mention that there are some free resources related to my book. If you go to the publisher's website, um, just uh, Google Bristol University Press and Terry Gibbons. And actually on my website, you can download a free reading guide. um, And I'm always happy to talk to folks like you. Well, You guys, this has been a great discussion. And thanks so much for having me.
1: And what's that website that people can get in contact with?
3: So terrygivens.com, T-E-R-R-I-G-I-V-E-N-S.com.
1: Awesome. We're definitely going to put that um, at the bottom of the screen. You'll be able to uh, look that up and also take a look at the book. I'm about halfway finished. It's definitely worth reading. Um, Some very interesting and insightful information within that book. Um, Kareem, any last words before we get out of here?
0: No, I I just want to thank um, Professor Givens for her time and also her her willingness to go and reach out and continue to have this conversation, because I don't think there's enough conversation that's happening in, in, in the realm of empathy or even in the realm of being able to be comfortable in your own skin. And that imposter mode is big because we have so many people that don't feel comfortable in their own skin. So I just want to thank her for her time. Awesome. Jamie, any last words?
2: Also, you know, thank Mrs. Gibbons. Um, as an educator, it's hard for us to find a starting point. So, anytime um, someone offers us information and um, gives us, you know, what we can use to bring into the classroom and have that beginning conversation is helpful. So, thank you.
1: Awesome. As um, far as my concern, um, a huge part of being an educator is the having the ability to problem solve. I don't care what that problem looks like. You're going to be dealt with, uh, faced with a lot of different scenarios where you have to solve problems. And this conversation about race and culture in a classroom, it is a problem that needs to be solved and we need to be able to address it. We need to have the courage to be able to address it. But that's going to take you as educators to go out there and do some research and get some more information. And and in terms of trying to at least understand in a broader context, what's going on, not only within your classroom, but what's also going on across the the, the globe as well. Um, So continue to, to do that journey, continue to learn, Um, because you're going to grow as a human being. And once you start to understand a little bit more, you'll be able to relate and be able to help kids solve problems. I mean, that's our our job is to be able to help them and guide them to solve those problems. Um, So don't be afraid to have these difficult conversations. I know there's school districts out there kind of ignoring it and hoping it'll go away, but we have to have this conversation. We have to have these conversations with these children um, so that we can at the very least help them to navigate their feelings through through this, this this time of of growth that they're going through. Just some housekeeping things before we get out of here. We are offering free, I said it, free, uh, three-part seminar for all you uh, aspiring assistant principals and newly hired assistant principals. I am giving you three workshops for free, one hour. You have an opportunity to listen Um, Each session about um, what life is like as an assistant principal, the stuff that your your educational programs in college did not tell you because they told me a whole lot of theory, but they didn't tell me a whole lot of practice of what my day was going to be like every single day um, working with those kids. So that's going to be part one. Part two, we're going to talk about interview techniques and how you can land that job as an assistant principal. And in part three, we're going to come back with connecting the dots on how uh, you can use customer service in the educational setting to help help build relationships so these are completely free um, just check out our website all right, you do is um, log in the first one is may 20th um, our second one is going to be june 3rd and then we're going to wrap it up at june 10th um, then we're probably going to flip it before the school year start in september uh, again um, so i'm giving you some free gems out there um, things that we've um i've been talking to a lot of educators about so uh, make sure you check that out um, we also got um, a good friend of the room, Miss Dr. Darlene Dahan is giving out um, also a free webinar on how to reach ELL students and problem solving. So make sure you check her out. Um, that's coming soon. That deadline's coming soon. So by the time this podcast comes out, you'll probably have one or two days um, to log in. I'll put that link up there as well. But. Like we like I always said, we always surround ourselves with some powerful powerful people that are doing great things, and these are people that are just out there doing it for you know the, the love of the of the industry and the kindness of their heart, and because they have knowledge, each one teach one. Um, so um, make sure you check that out. But until next time, as always, stay in power.